Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And we are so glad that you are here. Thanks again for joining along with us as we journey through the Message Bible. If you're just joining along today or if you've been with us since the beginning, the Message is just a paraphrase of the Bible. It puts a fresh set of eyes on some text you may have heard a hundred times and brings just a different richness and meaning to some of those verses. It sure does. I have learned so much, and it's just kind of fleshed out and made things so much more visible and understandable to me. I love this. And so we hope that you're being blessed by this as well. If you have any comments or questions on any of the verses or anything like that that we're reading through this version, don't be afraid to put it in the comments, or we'd be happy to engage in a conversation with you. As always, the text that we're reading out of will be listed below. So if you want to follow along in your favorite translation, feel free. Or if not, just let us do the hard work of reading. Put us on in the background, maybe grab a cup of coffee, and we'll take care of that for you. Absolutely. We all know that they didn't want to read that family tree that you oh, had to read last time. Man, the last time that family... Thank you. Thank you for showing me some grace in the family tree of Esau. I mean, wow. Maybe they could keep tallies of how many we pronounced correctly. I, I wouldn't <laughs> win very much. My tally would be very low. And that's what mine, so. So we're going to get started here today. We're going to say a quick prayer, and then Heidi will be starting out in Matthew. So, Father God, thank you again for a beautiful day today. Slow us down enough to just be present here in this moment. Mm -hmm. And for your words that are written on this beautiful paper in this beautiful book to just come alive and speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds and challenge us where we need to be challenged. Just work in us a new thing and bless us as we go through this. And I hope that whoever needs to hear whatever it is we're saying today, that your ears are open and your mind and heart are receptive. I ask this all in your holy name. I pray. Amen. Amen. So we'll get started here. Heidi will be starting out in Matthew chapter 7, reading verses 1 through 14. All right, here we go. This is titled, A Simple Guide for Behavior. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Don't be flip with the sacred. Banter and silliness give no honor to God. Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans. In trying to be relevant, you're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Don't bargain with God. Mm -hmm. Be direct. Ask for what you need. Ooh, what you need. That's yeah, not a want. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. 
So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? Here is a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this is what you get. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. I think there's a ton of those little ads like, and now for a special time. Find Jesus in 30 seconds or less. Yes. <laughs> you know, for just $39.99. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Doesn't work that way. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Mm. I love it. That's a great chapter. I love the don't bargain with God. Just ask mm -hmm. for what you need. It's not a cat and mouse hide and seek game. And he's letting you know, like, just be direct with me. Talk to me. Yes. And what I'm seeing in here, we're called to live a servant life. Not a master mm -hmm. life, a servant life. Serve everyone around you, no matter what your position in the world is. No matter what, just serve them. Jesus came to earth and that's all he did was serve us. God himself came yeah. and submitted to us, which is beyond my ability to comprehend. And so now we'll bounce a little forward over to Acts chapter 10, and we're going to pick up with Peter here. So there was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God and was always helping the people in need and had a habit of prayer. One day about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. An angel of God, as real as his next-door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius? Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was seeing things. And imagine he was so... <laughs> and then he said, what do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Here's what you are to do. Send men to Joppa to get Simon, the one everyone calls Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is down by the sea. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particularly devout soldier from the guard. He went over with them in great detail everything that had just happened and then sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as the three travelers were approaching the town, Peter went out on the balcony to pray. It was about noontime. Peter got hungry and started thinking about lunch. While lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the skies open up. Something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners settled on the ground. Every kind of animal and reptile and bird that you could think of was on it. And then a voice came. Go to it, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter said, Oh, no, Lord. I've never so much as tasted the food that was not kosher. The voice came a second time. If God says it's okay, it's okay. Oh. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. As Peter, puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what it all meant, the men set by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. 
They called in, asking if there was a Simon, also called Peter, staying there. Peter, lost in thought, didn't hear them, so the spirit whispered to him, Three men are knocking at the door for you. Go down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. Peter went down and said to the men, I think I'm the man that you're looking for. What's up? <laughs> they said, Captain Cornelius, a God-fearing man, well known for his fair play, ask any Jew in this part of the country, was commanded by a holy angel to get you and to bring you to his house so that he could hear what you had to say. Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. And I read just a little bit extra, but you know what? A little extra Bible is never a bad thing. Never. So we were supposed to stop at verse 16 there, and I read on to verse uh, 22. So I'm not going to apologize for you getting a little extra Bible today. <laughs> someone needed to hear so, that. That's how we get past a lot of our mistakes. We just figure someone needed someone to hear that. Someone needed to hear that. That's right. I can use that. And now for everybody's favorite part of the segment, we are going to rewind back to the Old Testament. I think they're going to call it, Heidi's reading the Psalms. Is she going to cry this time? So we'll find out. And so Heidi will be starting out with Psalm chapter 17. All right. Psalm 17. Listen while I build my case, God. The most honest prayer you'll ever hear. Show the world I'm innocent. In your heart, you know I am. Go ahead, examine me from inside out, surprise me in the middle of the night. You'll find I'm just what I say I am. My words don't run loose. I'm not trying to get my way in the world's way. I'm trying to get your way, your word's way. I'm staying on your trail. I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not giving up. I called to you, God, because I'm sure of an answer. So, answer. Bend your ear, listen sharp, paint grace graffiti on the fences. Take in your frightened children who are running from the neighborhood bully straight to you. Keep your eye on me, hide me under your cool wing feathers from the wicked who are out to get me from mortal enemies closing in. Their hearts are hard as nails, their mouths blast hot air. They are after me, nipping my heels, determined to bring me down. Lions ready to rip me apart, young lions poised to pounce. Up, God, beard them, break them. By your sword, free me from their clutches. Barehanded, God, break these mortals, these flat earth people who can't think beyond today. I'd like to see their bellies swollen with famine flood, the weeds they'd sown harvested and baked into famine bread with second helpings for their children and crusts for their babies to chew on. And me, I plan on looking you full in the face. When I get up, I'll see your full stature and live heaven on earth. Wow. Go, David. Right in around verse four in there, though, it was another kind of nod back to just kind of do it one day at a time, one step okay. at a time. I'm here with you. One foot in front of the other. And I will guide your path. Mm. I love how David recognizes God's tremendous love for the outcast and the hurting and the broken and the victims just over and over and over again. 
David is recognizing how God feels towards them. And I imagine that's incredibly convicting when he directly was involved in harming one. Mm. Raped mm. her, she became pregnant, that child died. David caused all that. He caused harm to those that were helpless. Mm -hmm. And the conviction of that had to have been tremendous. And now we'll go back to Genesis chapter 37 and 38, and we'll be ending there today. Family trees today? I don't know. I don't think we have any family trees. I haven't really scanned through it, so it's kind of a, a mixed bag, and we'll see oh, what we get. Yes, I'm sure there's going to be a name or two. So chapter 37. Meanwhile, Jacob had settled down where his father had lived, the land of Canaan. This is the story of Jacob. The story continues with Joseph, 17 years old at the time, helping out his brothers in herding flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. And Joseph brought his father bad reports on them. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age. And he made him an elaborately embroidered coat. When his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them, they grew to hate him. They wouldn't even speak to him. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, hey, listen to this dream I had. We were all out in the field gathering bundles of wheat, and then all of a sudden my bundle stood straight up and your bundle circled around it and bowed down to mine. His brother said, so... You're going to rule us? You're going to boss us around? And they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way that he talked. He had another dream and told this one also to his brothers. I dreamed another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars oh, bowed oh. down to me. 11. Then he told it to his father and brothers. His father reprimanded him. What's with all this dreaming? Am I and your mother and your brothers all supposed to bow down to you? Now his brothers were really jealous, but his father brooded over the whole business. His brothers had gone off to Shechem where they were pasturing their father's flocks. Israel said to Joseph, Your brothers are with the flocks in Shechem. Come, I want to send you to them. Joseph said, I am ready. He said, Now go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring me back a report. He sent them off from the valley of Hebron to Shechem. A man met him as he was wandering through the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? I'm trying to find my brothers. Do you have any idea where they are grazing their flocks? The man said, They've left here, but I overheard them say, Let's go to Dotham. So Joseph took off, tracked his brothers down, and found them in Dothan. They spotted him off in the distance. By the time he got to them, they had cooked up a plot to kill him. The brothers were saying, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these old cisterns. We can say that a vicious animal ate him up. We'll see what his dreams amount to. Reuben heard the brothers talking and intervened to save him. We are not going to kill him. No murder. Go ahead and throw him into the cistern out here in the wild, but don't hurt him. Reuben planned to go back later and get him out and take him back to his father. When Joseph reached his brothers, they ripped off the fancy coat that he was wearing, grabbed him, and threw him into a cistern. 
The cistern was dry. There wasn't any water in it. Then they sat down to eat their supper. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way from Gilead, their camels loaded with spices, ointments, and perfumes to sell in Egypt. And Judah said, Brothers, what are we going to get out of killing our brother and concealing the evidence? Sell him to the Ishmaelites, but let's not kill him. He is, after all, our brother, our own flesh and blood. Oh, well, good. They've got some morals. Then, so yeah, yeah just... they're, they're moral. Uh... Meanwhile, they're, they're eating lunch. Their brother's at the bottom of a well, probably shouting and calling for help. And they're just, they're you know, sandwich. Yeah, let's yeah. just have a sandwich. By that time, the Midianite traders were passing by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph with them down mm -hmm. to Egypt. Later, Reuben came back and went to the cistern. No Joseph. He ripped his clothes in despair. Beside himself, he went to his brothers. The boy is gone. What am I to do? They took Joseph's coat, butchered a goat, and dipped the coat in blood. They took the fancy coat back to their father and said, We found this. Look it over. Do you think this is your son's coat? He recognized it at once. My son's coat, a wild animal, has eaten him. Joseph torn limb from limb. Jacob tore his clothes in grief, dressed in rough burlap, and mourned his son a long, long time. His sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused their comfort. I will go to the grave mourning my son. Oh, how his father wept for him. In Egypt, the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, manager of his household affairs. About that time, Judah separated from his brothers and went to stay with a man from Adullam named Hira. While there, Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite woman named Shua. He married her, they went to bed, and she became pregnant and had a son named Ur. She got pregnant again and had a son named Onan. She had still another son, and she named this one Shelah, and they were living in Kizib when she had him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. But Judah's firstborn, Ur, grievously offended God, and God took his life. Oh, wow. So Judah told Onan, Go and sleep with your brother's widow. It's the duty of a brother-in-law to keep your brother's line alive. But Onan knew that the child wouldn't be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's widow, he spilled his semen on the ground so that he wouldn't produce a child for his brother. God was much offended by what he did and also took his life. So Judah stepped in and told his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow at home with your father until my son Shelah grows up. He was worried that Shelah would also end up dead, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live with her father. Time passed. Judah's wife, Shua's daughter, died. When the time of mourning was over, Judah, with his friend Hira of Adullam, went to Timnah for the sheep shearing. Tamar was told, your father-in-law has gone to Timnah to shear his sheep. She took off her widow's clothes, put on a veil to disguise herself, and then sat at the entrance to Enalam, which is on the road to Timnah. She realized by now that even though Shelah had grown up, she wasn't going to be married to him. Judah saw her and assumed that she was a prostitute since she had veiled her face. He left the road and went over to her. He said, let me sleep with you. 
He had no idea that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you pay me? I will send you, he said, a kid goat from the flock. He said, not unless you give me a pledge until you send it. So what would you want in the way of a pledge? She said, your personal seal and cord and the staff that you carry. Oh, wow. He handed them over to her and slept with her, and she got pregnant. She then left and went home. She removed her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. Judah sent the kid goat by his friend from Adullam to recover the pledge from the woman, but he couldn't find her. He asked the men of that place, Where's the prostitute that used to sit by the road here near Enalm? They said there's never been a prostitute here. Mm. He went back to Judah and said, I couldn't find her. The men there said that there has never been a prostitute here. Judah said, well, let her have it then. If we keep looking, everyone will be poking fun at us. I kept my part of the bargain. I sent the kid goat, but you couldn't find her. Three months or so later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law has been playing the whore, and now she's a pregnant whore. Judah yelled, get her out of here, burn her up. As they brought her out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these things. Identify them, please. Who's the owner of the seal and cord and the staff? Judah saw that they were his. She's in the right. I'm in the wrong. I wouldn't let her marry my son, Sheila. He never slept with her again. When her time came to give birth, it turned out that there were twins in her womb. As she was giving birth, one put his hand out. The midwife tied a red thread on his hand, saying, This one came first. But then he pulled it back and his brother came out. Mm -hmm. She said, Oh, a breakout. So she named him Perez, which means breakout. And then his brother came out with the red thread on his hand, and they named him Zira, which means bright. Wow. And that is the end of Genesis. Interesting. I mean... You cannot tell me that the Old Testament or the Bible is boring because, oh my goodness, these people with their scheming and planning and... Just the the lies and how things come together and, and the way that they really had to try to, like, especially women had to really hedge their bets and protect themselves because, I mean, she oh. did that out of preservation. She, she knew what to ask for. Absolutely desperate to have some type of security in life. Her Latin life really sucked. She got paid for and given to one son who was so horrible that God struck him dead, given to another son who refused to do duty, which she didn't have any choice in the matter. She gets passed around. Sure. So here she is, and now she supposedly promised to this kid, but I have to wait for him to grow up before he can then receive me as his wife because I'll be passed on to him. That didn't happen. As awful as that sounds in this culture, a woman's security depended on that. Yeah. And now she has no value, nobody to marry her. She's not this prized virgin. She has no worth, no value, and she will die destitute, uncared for, with no ability to be married. So she decided, I'm going straight to the patriarch. I'm going to the big guy. And yeah, she plotted, schemed, and deceived. But I can't say Judah had some real good morals just picking up some prostitute on this dusty roadside and 
Yeah, I'll take, uh, yeah, let's just go back to my tent. Oh, my staff and my seal. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll hand that. it to you because, yeah. you know, anyways. So, friends, another non-boring day running through the Bible. I know. I mean, did you ever think the Bible was this interesting? Oh, my goodness. But isn't it amazing to know that flawed, broken humans yes. were used by and redeemed by God himself. And still are today. It's we are proof positive. Living proof right here. So Living proof. And, yes. And we know... He can do a work in your life, too. There's nobody out there that is too far away from God and what he wants to do that he can't use your life, redeem what's wrong, and just make a new thing. If he can do it for me, I know he can do it for you. And if he can do it for my wife, I know he can do it for you. Absolutely. All of you out there is like, oh, my sin's too big. Get rid of that pride because there is nothing absolutely nothing that is too big for our God. I don't care what anybody has told you Mm -hmm. or what some interpretation is. God is bigger than it all. Absolutely. Don't listen to those voices in your head Mm -hmm. that says you're not worthy of God's love. He already loves you. Amen. And friends, thanks so much for being with us on this journey through the message. It means a lot to us and we appreciate having you along. And we look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of A Journey Through the Message. I can't wait to be back. Have a good day. Bye.